them. You know, the pictures we see of Christ, uh, whether he's literally standing beside the empty tomb or else he's uh, ascending into heaven, uh, they are far removed uh, from what the Spirit of God has painted on the canvas of Holy Scripture. Nowhere in the entire Bible, should I say that, will we find uh, Christ better portrayed in his resplendent glory and his majestic person than in this depiction of Revelation chapter 1. The passage, I believe, is what is known as a brilliant masterpiece of Christology, that is, depicting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just the theology of Christ, not only the teaching of Christ, but the actual person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And child of God, we should recognize where he is in heaven, raised from the dead, but what he is like now at this present time. Because even in your notion of things, when you think of Jesus Christ, you oftentimes think of him upon the earth. You often are being conditioned by perhaps children's books or Bible lessons or some of the masterpieces that have been painted by the greatest artists in the world. And you have Christ with the blue eyes and the beard and the long hair and the long garments. And you just see him in that way. And that's how he's pictured to the modern world. And yet the Bible paints a different picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't see him now thorn-crowned. We don't see him now as someone who's laboring under the burden of the cross. We don't see him now with his head bowed as he expires and gives up the ghost on the cross of Calvary. We don't see him now. The message of Easter is not only of a crucified Savior, but of a risen Lord. In fact, the foundation of the entire building, an edifice of God and Christianity, the foundation is the resurrection of Christ. And Paul, given, given over to that 15th chapter in 1 Corinthians, he outlines the, the reasons for the resurrection. He even speaks that if there's no resurrection, your faith is in vain. And the Easter message is not only that Christ died for our sins, but he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. And that Jesus Christ, my friend, is alive. He's alive. He's alive forevermore. And he's raised to the right hand of God. And we sing in one of those great hymns, the highest place that heaven affords is now his by sovereign right. We have looked at Christ. We have seen the man of sorrows. We have followed him along the pathway to the cross, coming from the high priest's house to the garden of Gethsemane, then into the pavement or the judgment hall and Gabbatha. And then we have walked along the path to the cross. And then we have sat down and watched him there. But we need to get beyond that. We need to get even beyond the empty tomb because he's not there. We don't have to go to a pilgrimage to Israel to find the body of Christ or to look at a piece of garment that he wore or to look at a bone that they says that this is part of the body of Christ. We know that he's risen and he's bodily risen from the dead and he's alive forevermore. And in heaven, there is painted for us on the canvas of Holy Scripture a depiction of the risen, glorified Christ. Now I know for the most part that Christ is hidden from the eyes of the world. They see nothing in Christ. No beauty in him. 
They don't see anything of his resplendent glory. They see nothing of his majestic, wonderful, glorious person. And he's held up sadly for reproach and for contempt amongst the ungodly. But nevertheless, no matter what society thinks of Christ, at present he is now king of kings. He is now Lord of lords. It's not that Christ is going to be king of kings or Lord of lords. No, he's already reigning. He's already ruling. He's already alive forevermore. He's already glorified in heaven. And he's returning to this earth. And what you see here in Revelation 1 is the same Christ that you will gaze upon when he returns to this earth. Or he takes you home to glory, whichever will come first. He is our risen Savior. He is our glorified high priest and our risen Lord. And tonight, I want you to take a look with me at the glorious person of Christ who suffered, bled, and died, and rose again for our salvation. Let's consider then the truth about Christ. Who he is, yes, but where he is, and what he is like. From this passage, I want you to consider, first of all, his apparel. If you look with me there at the verse 13, it's a very interesting verse because it gives us a picture of Christ. I don't believe in all of the pictures that I have seen, and perhaps you as well, you've ever seen Christ like this. If you notice with me in verse 13, and it says, In the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now that's a remarkable statement because this is not the apparel or the garment of the common people. No, this is the garment of the high priest. And I know that we had a series of meetings ourselves in Cumber with the Reverend Ron Johnson who had uh, a mannequin there dressed as the high priest of Israel. And now he looked at those garments and the breastplate and so on. And that's what's re referenced here is the blessed breastplate. But it speaks to us of a golden girdle. I believe that uh, Christ, the high priest of his people, uh, there's a more glorious person there in heaven than there was that we have depicted in the high priest here on earth. And that was in Israel. And we saw all those glorious garments. But here we find Christ raised and he's the high priest of his people. And the Bible says that he's girt about uh, right down to his very feet. And, and you know, in Bible times, those that wore the long garment, it wasn't the garment of the common people. It was the garment of those who had dignity, those who had prestige, individuals who had authority. And they commanded that authority. And their dress showed to the common people that they had dignity and that they had authority. And they had prestige. And here we find Christ now depicted in heaven with a garment down to the feet and a golden girdle about the chest. This is not the garment of the common man or the common person. Rather, it's the apparel of the high priest. And it's the glorious high priest of God's people, Christ himself. Here Christ appears in heaven as all victorious. He appears as ever glorious eternal and compassionate high priest of his repentant and believing people. The words of verse 13 is a reference to the breastplate. In other words, in heaven, 
the one who suffered and bled and died and rose again for you as a believer. He's there. And the breastplate, as you would know, Israel's breastplate carried the names of the 12 tribes, not only on his shoulders, but on the very breastplate. And it reminds us that Christ, the risen Lord, he has his people close to his heart. That's a remarkable thing. You know, there are people who sympathize with individuals and they say, you know, you're not only in my prayers, but I have you in my heart. And that means more than just a friendship. In other words, the Lord has you near to him. And child of God, listen to me. In this world, when you may be despised, in this world, when people may reproach you for your faith in Christ, in this world, when you will have tribulation and trial and problems and troubles, and who knows what cross you're carrying, I want to tell you something. Christ holds you close. He has you near to his heart. And what we see now in heaven is the one that loved you and the one that suffered for you and the one that was crucified for you and the one that endured all of those things for you. And where is he now? He's in heaven. And what is he like? He's the high priest. He wears the golden girdle. He wears that golden breastplate. And listen to me. He has your name on his heart. He has you close to him. I want to tell you, gird about the paps. It's the chest. It's the heart revealing to us the love of Christ for his people. Did you know that I was overcome, and I mean this, overwhelmed and overcome with emotion. Not so long ago when it dawned on me as a man was preaching. And he says, you know something, child of God, you are the Lord's Hepzibah. I thought, no, I can't believe The Lord's Hepzibah? The word means one in whom is my delight. How could that be? I'm a sinner. I know my sins and thousands more. I want to tell you something. I'm fit firewood for hell. Undeserving, ill-deserving, a sinner. And quite often backslidden, cold at heart. And your love for Christ just seems to be strong and weak the next. Prayer life oft times is not what it ought to be. Your witness and your testimony for Christ, your love for God and your fellow man is never what it should be. And yet, I listen to him preach. And he says, you're the Lord's Hepzibah. And I thought, and my heart skipped a beat. My soul was overcome with emotion. That the Lord would find delight in me. That he would love me. And he would delight himself in me. It's impossible. It can only happen in Christ. In my union with his son. That the righteousness of Christ is mine. And I have eternal life and peace with God. And in my union with Christ. The father loves me as he loves his son. Just as Christ is the Hepzibah of the father. So those that are joined and in union with Christ. Are God's Hepzibah. The one in whom he delights. Now the devil would paint a different picture. He would tell you that God's against you. That God's not for you. That God doesn't love you the way he, you think he does. And the devil would tell you God's a monster. Why would he let this happen to you? Why would he allow this thing to go on? Why would this happen, that happen? And oft times we have heard God's people. We couldn't point a finger. 
who knows what we would say or do if we were in their position. Let's be honest. And some of us have never been there. We have never suffered what some of God's people have suffered. And it would be easy to say, well, that's wrong what you're saying. And that's not right what you're saying. And I don't think you should say that. We don't know how we would react. But all I know is this. The devil would paint a different picture. And here's the truth about your Savior. He has you close to his heart. You are his hepsy bath. He holds you near. I want to tell you something. Christ has sympathy. Christ has love for his people. And if you want to see a picture of Christ tonight, I tell you, don't listen to the devil. And don't listen to false religion. And don't listen to your own thoughts and feelings. I want you to look at scripture and let the Holy Ghost show you who Christ is and where he is and what he is like tonight. I want to tell you something. He has you on his heart. He has you close to him and he loves you and he keeps you and he saves you and he provides for you. And we could elaborate, but I'm not going to. But you notice in verse 13, it says he's girded about the paps with a golden girdle. A golden girdle. And we know that gold in scripture is always a reference uh, to the eternal and to things everlasting. And when it says a golden girdle, that his mercy is everlasting. You'll never exhaust it. You'll never exhaust the mercy of God. His mercy is everlasting. And I want to tell you, his grace is unfathomable. I want to tell you, you will never exhaust the grace of God. And you will never exhaust the mercy of God. And this golden girdle, it's golden. It speaks of the eternality of the grace of your Savior and the love of your God. Christ, our high priest, offered to God that one great sacrifice for sin. He died to pay the price for our sin. I want to tell you now, God has raised his son from the dead and he's alive forevermore. And he says even to John, he says, John, I am he that was dead and I'm alive forevermore. And I want to tell you, he's exalted to heaven and he ever lives there as your great exalted high priest. His love is everlasting. He's girded about the chest, the heart, with a golden girdle. An everlasting sympathy and love for his people. And his love is eternal and his priesthood is everlasting. He is the priest who actually offered himself for sin. Now, remarkable, every Old Testament priest offered something else for sin. But Christ, our high priest, offered himself the sacrifice. He was the priest upon the altar. And here's the remarkable thing, the reversal of the Old Testament economy. Every time the priest put the meat or the offering on the altar, the fire always consumed the offering. The fire always burned. It always burned. For hundreds, thousands of years under the old Jewish economy, the fire always consumed the offering. And even when there was direct fire from God, the fire always consumed the offering. But there was a reversal of that at Calvary. When for the first time in the Jewish economy, the offering consumed the fire. And the fire will never burn again. And Christ has consumed the fiery wrath of God. It fell on him. Could I even suggest he put it out? He put it out. And he extinguished it forever. And he rose victorious from the dead. You cannot take a series like this. 
not mention the resurrection. The resurrection is everything. Because if Christ is not raised from the dead, if he is not the glorious son of the living God, if he's not now our great exalted high priest, then we have nothing. We are men and women most miserable. But I want to tell you something. He now represents all your interests before a holy God. He's praying for you. What a remarkable thing if someone came into this meeting house tonight and tapped you on the shoulder and said, by the way, I've been praying for you today. And you would go away saying, I am so thankful. I'm humble. Imagine that person thought of me. Can I tell you something? Christ prays for you every moment of every day. You'll never be forgotten again. He has saved you. He has suffered for you. He will never abandon you. And right now, I can tell you, Thomas Martin's name was mentioned in heaven. It was mentioned in heaven today. And if heaven was silent, and the only thing heard were the prayers of Christ, your name as a believer, if you're saved and born again, your name was mentioned in heaven. It's a remarkable thing, isn't it? There are many names being mentioned in this province at the minute, and it's not for good. But your name's mentioned in heaven. Because you have a high priest there and he's got about the taps with a golden girdle. And that means he carries you. That golden girdle is really the breastplate that had the names of the tribes of Israel representing the entire nation of God's ancient people. And tonight Christ is in heaven. And there he's, he's, you can see his apparel. He's praying for you. He's uh, asking God for you to be kept by the power of God. Read his high priestly prayer in John 17. So you're near to Christ tonight. So I want you to think of his apparel. The amazing truth about Christ is that he came into this world in complete obscurity. He lived as a true man and went the whole way to Calvary to offer himself a sacrifice for our sin. And now having finished the work of our redemption, that work needed to save your soul and give you peace with God, God raised his son from the dead. Christ is alive forevermore. He's the risen glorified reigning son of God and he's clothed with resplendent glory he's majestic in his apparel and he sits now at the right hand of God and he ever lives to pray for you and he provides for you and he cares for you I want to tell you he's not as the Roman Catholic Church portray him in his weakest form tonight he's not in the arms of Mary as a babe he is not hanging upon a cross with blood dripping everywhere he's risen He's alive forevermore. And the Easter week is complete with the resurrection of the Son of the living God. And therefore, the risen, ascended, and returning King is the King of love and the King of grace. And sinner, if you're here tonight and you're out of Christ without a Savior, then this is the Christ we invite you to. He's not some weak individual. He's not someone you should feel sorry for. He's the Lord of glory. And he is the mighty God. I want to tell you he is the saviour of sinners, risen and glorified. And we invite you to come to one who is able to save and to keep you. I want you to think secondly, not only of Christ and his apparel, but look at Christ and his appearance. You have it here because in his apparel, if you take this view, in his apparel, Christ is portrayed as the redeemer of God's elect. He's pictured as the saviour of sinners and the high priest of those whom he saves. But in his appearance, Christ is taking on a different role. In his appearance in heaven, in this chapter, 
We see Christ in a different role. Yes, in his apparel, we see him as the redeemer of God's elect and the high priest of his redeemed people. But in his appearance, when we think of his appearance, then there's a change of emphasis, a change of role. I believe we see now Christ as the judge of all the earth. This is the one that the sinner will kneel before. You know the one that rips up the tract in your face and dies in their sin? You know the one that says no to Christ and refuses to come to gospel meetings? You know the one that wants to stop you preaching the gospel on the main street or in the open air? You know the one that writes an email to the website and says, don't come to my door anymore? You know the one that when you go to the door, it says no religious groups? You know the one that says, listen, don't you preach to me? You know the one that says, I don't believe in God? Or the one that waves a puny fist in the face of the Almighty? and says when I meet your God I'll tell him what a dirty bully he is you know those ones that reject him and those are the ones that despise him I want to tell you something now listen to me this is the one that one day they'll stand before and you need to see who he is and what he's like it's a fearful description and depiction of who Christ is and what he's like now now I want to tell you I believe in his appearance. We see Christ now as the judge of all the earth. And if you get this picture into your heart and mind and you realize who Christ is and what he's like and then you see the puny sinner, I'm telling you, you'll not envy the sinner. You'll not even worry about a little bit of discomfort. I believe it would move you to reach out to that sinner knowing that they're going to stand before and what it's going to be like to stand before this Christ. This son of the living God. For they will stand before him on the great and terrible day of his wrath. You notice it says there in verse 14. His head and his hair. Look at this appearance of Christ. It says that his head and his hair were white like wool. As white as snow. Now I know people will say, well that means God is an old man, full of grey hairs. He's on a bit of an old stick. And he's that old, he can, he's that decrepit, he can hardly walk. This has nothing to do with grey hairs. This has to do with immaculate righteousness. You could not portray Christ in any other way but the very head and the hair. And it doesn't say grey. It says that it is white as wool. And it says it is white as snow. It speaks of purity. It speaks of holiness. It speaks of impeccable justice and righteousness and truth. I want to tell you something. He is the sinless, spotless, impeccable son of the living God. And he cannot countenance sin. And he cannot look upon sin. And when a sinner stands before Christ, they'll not talk to Christ. I'm telling you. They will not argue their case. John was a righteous man, justified man. And when he saw Christ, as I'm describing him, because he saw Christ, he said he fell at his feet as dead. Now that's a saved man. A justified man. A man who's righteous in Christ. A man who Christ died for on the cross. And the Bible says he was left speechless. And he fell before Christ 
and he was as a dead man. That is, he couldn't physically move. He stood in fear. How do we know that? Because the Lord addressed him and said to John, fear not. Such was the terror upon a saved man that John fell on his face. Couldn't even lift his face. Now can you see the pathetic sinner clothed in the garments and the blackness of his sin? Even trying to argue with this Christ and to wave a puny fist in his face and to tell him what a dirty bully he is? Can you see that? There's nowhere in scripture even those that are saved will fall at his feet. Such is the glory of Christ. His majestic power, his resplendent glory. I want to tell you something. This depiction of Christ here is trying to convey to us in language that we really can't fully grasp or understand that he is immaculate in his righteousness. He's impeccable in holiness. In other words, he burns with purity. And he cannot countenance sin. And imagine a sinner. And if you're here tonight without Christ, or you're listening on the uh, sermon audio or Facebook without Christ, and you would dare stand in the rags of church attendance or in the garment of baptism, or you would stand in the robe of confirmation, or you would have some established righteousness or goodness that you feel that you've established by moral and good living and charitable acts and church going and obeying the rites and rituals of a church and having those rites and rituals conveyed upon you by some clergyman or woman. I want to tell you something. Can you imagine standing before this Christ and the Bible says that his head and his hair were as white as snow and they were literally white as wool. It's a picture of the righteousness and holiness of Christ. And yet, sinner, you will stand before him. You will stand before him. And I want to tell you if John fell as dead, what will it be for the sinner? They, they even cried in Revelation 6. For the rocks and the mountains to fall on us. They saw death and couldn't find it. Because Christ is the life. And he has the power to kill and to make alive. And men will not take their lives as a way of escape. As they think they can do so for their troubles on earth. But I want to tell you. Part of that calling of the rocks and mountains was also, Scripture tells us that, to hide us from the face of the wrath of the Lamb. Just his head and his hair was enough to convey that he is holy and he is just and he's pure and he's true and he will punish sin. Can I say, I notice also his eyes. Look at verse 14. It says that his eyes were as a flame of fire. That's why I tell you, in his apparel, he's the high priest. What a comfort to the people of God. But in his appearance, he's the judge. That's what we're looking at. We have not only come to the cross, we have not only ascended with Christ into heaven, but I want to tell you, we're now returning with him to the earth again. And this is what he'll be like. This is the one that you will see and the world will bow before and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. You know, it says his eyes were as a flame of fire. Think of it, a flame of fire. Now fire, we know in the natural realm, it burns through the toughest timber. It melts steel, the hardest steel. Steel burns up with fire. We know that whenever the volcano erupts, we know that it flows in a river of larva. And that is literally burning rock. 
Put it onto your fire at home or your wood burner or set it on the stove. And I can tell you, there's not even a gas degree that could melt that rock. And yet, the Bible tells me, in the natural world, we understand the destructive nature of fire. It burns through the toughest timber and it melts the hardest steel. Nothing can really escape the intense heat and flame of a burning fire. And yet Christ's eyes that look on the multitudes on that day are a burning fire. That is, they consume the sinner. The eyes of Christ that looked on the multitudes on earth with compassion. The eyes of Christ that looked upon those that crucified him and prayed, Father, forgive. Those eyes, my friends, will one day cast a fiery glance over the nations of this world and when he comes to judge the world in righteousness. That's the truth about Christ. Those eyes that look with mercy now and love if you will repent of your sin and you will come by faith to Christ. Those eyes that will look in pity to your soul. Those eyes that will look with compassion. Those eyes that are filled with grace and love for sinners. Those same eyes. The Bible says now, Right now, those eyes are as a flame of fire. Think of it. It is the very appearance of the judge. I want to tell you one day those eyes will pierce the heart and soul of the sinner with terrible and swift judgment. Better for you, sinner, tonight to look to Christ than to have his fiery glance at the judgment day. Better for you now to look unto me, as he says, and be ye saved, than Christ to look upon you in your sin and cast his fiery glance and judgment upon your soul. Notice not only his head and his hairs and his feet, but notice there are his eyes. Notice his feet there in verse 15. It says his feet are as fine brass, as if they burned in the fire. Now that's a remarkable statement. There is fine brass brass is a hard metal as if they burned in the fire it, it's bad enough to have someone with brass feet walk over you but to have that brass melted and burning and then to walk over you there's no hope for any person and we see that these feet these very feet that walked from that house and upper room in John 13 those feet that took Christ into the Kidron Valley and over the brook and into the Garden of Gethsemane. Those feet that took him to the house of the high priest and to the pavement and the judgment hall of Pilate. Those feet that walked the lonely path to Calvary. Those feet that were nailed to the cross. Those feet that walked after resurrection to his disciples. Now as we look in heaven we see Christ and we see his feet. And them's the same feet, my friend, that if you fall at those nail-pierced feet tonight, you will be saved. If you will come as a sinner and you will fall at his feet, that's the place of submission. That's the place of surrender at the feet of Christ. That is, you feel yourself so unworthy, you can only fall at his feet. Those same feet, if you don't fall now, those same feet, my friend, will fall upon you. Those same feet, my friend, uh, will literally be the ones that trample out the vintage 
where the grapes of wrath are stored. Read Isaiah 63, and you'll find that Christ treads the winepress alone. And it means his feet are used to crush the grapes of wrath. And if you read Revelation 14, you will discover that there is a vine. And if you read John 15, you'll discover that there is a vine. The Bible says there's the vine who is Christ. I am the true vine. But in Revelation 14, you will discover that Christ actually uses, and he says, the vine of the earth. And from the vine of the earth, the clusters of grapes are gathered and they're fired into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the Bible says in Isaiah 63, Isaiah saw the vision, not of Calvary, but of the coming of Christ in judgment. And he says he's tramping out the vintage, the grapes of wrath are stored, and he's tramping out those grapes under his feet. And I want to tell you, sinner, it's better for you to fall now at the nail-pierced feet of the Savior and confess your sin and accept him than to be trodden by the feet of divine justice in the winepress of the wrath of God. Notice as well his voice in verse 15. Notice it says there that his voice was as the sound of many waters, verse 15. This is literally the voice of authority. This is the voice of power. One day that voice will summon you, sinner, to the judgment bar. It's better for you now to obey the voice of God in command than to have his voice sounded forth in summons and to summons you to the very bar and judgment bar of God. Notice in verse 16, you have his hand. Look at verse 16. It says his right hand. He has the seven stars. In other words, the seven stars were the seven ministers. The seven ministers of the seven churches, they represented the full congregation of those churches in Asia Minor. And so in the hand of Christ were his ministers. They represented his entire flock in those seven churches of Asia Minor. And we have a picture here of Christ walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. That's the seven churches. They're only candlesticks. They're not the light. They're the instrument that burns the light, that carries the light. And when the Lord says, I'll take your candlestick away, he'll not take his light from out of the earth, but he'll take the instrument away that burns that light. And there's many a denomination in the free church is not beyond getting to that place where the Lord removes the candlestick. And there's no more light in that place. Many a church, there's no light in the gospel. Spoke to people today spoke to people yesterday and we know of the church they're going to we're not here to judge churches but we know this no gospel preached no light no Sunday evening service at all no gospel and maybe a half hour at most with most of it given to praise and maybe one verse of scripture just to tell you uh, to follow the golden rule no Christ no gospel no light the candlestick has been removed but Christ's light hasn't not be taken away until the Lord returns again in this world to be cloaked in darkness. But you know, it tells us his hand. And in that hand are his people. It's a wonderful place to be tonight. In the hand, in fact, it's the right hand. The right hand of the Lord. No man can pluck you out of his hand. And you know, sinner, that hand is stretched out to you tonight in love, mercy, and grace. That hand can save you. But the Bible says when he comes as judge, that hand, that literal hand, you'll not be in it. That hand will come to chasten and come to judge. And I want to tell you something, friend. 
That hand for me is a safe refuge. It's a hiding place in the day of wrath. It's a covert from the storm of divine judgment. And I'm in his hand. I'm safe. I'm secure in his hand. But sinner, you're out of his hand. You've never come to him. You've never trusted him. And you're out of his hand. And when Christ stretches forth his hand in righteous and terrible judgment, you have no place of safety. You have no hiding place. Better to be in the hand of the Lord, saved by grace. The hand of salvation has reached out to sinners now. And if they'll only come and they'll put their hand in his nail-pierced hand. And then they will take his hand and follow him in the rigors of discipleship. Lest the day come when the hand of the Lord is against you in judgment. Notice his mouth, verse 16. Out of his mouth went a two-edged sword. Now this is Christ now. Out of his mouth went a two-edged sword. You see, God, Christ is God. He's already put forth his power in creation. And by the word of his mouth, he called the world and the universe into being. That same word, by the way, in a universal fashion, will put forth power and judgment against his enemies. And it'll be by the word of his mouth. Here it's likened unto the sword. The sword is the, primarily the weapon of destruction. I know it's used by monarchs today uh, to knight people and to confer honor upon them. We understand that. But primarily the sword is a weapon of destruction. And so the word of God likened to the two-edged sword. It literally means that God will call the nations to judgment. And that same word that they have lightly esteemed when it's been preached by his ministers. Will be the very sword that will pierce their heart and their soul. You should pity the sinner that rejects and lightly esteems the word of his mouth. And you should Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Many, I believe, shall feel the terrible power of the word of God. That they lightly esteem upon earth and especially through the preaching of his servants. So sinner, when the spirit of God through the word calls you, that's the time to respond. When the Spirit of God commands repentance and faith in Christ, that's the time to obey that word. Because by that same word, he will judge you. Therefore, better for you to come and submit and surrender and obey. Notice his countenance as the sun shineth, verse 16, in his strength. The last mention of Christ's features is his lovely face. I'll tell you a few reasons for that, but one in particular. And that is, it's the final aspect of our salvation. I know we still have our glorification at the resurrection with our body, but this is the final, I believe, aspect of our salvation. You will see his face. You will look upon him who loved you and gave himself for you. Fanny Crosby said, face to face shall I behold him. Tells us in the book of the Revelation, they shall see his face. It's a wonderful thing. One day we will gaze into the face of Christ. We will look upon the one who loved us. And his face. Now you cannot look at the sun. With a human eye, you cannot. And here's the face of Christ. And it says, as the sun that shineth. And we could really add to it in its strength. At its greatest height. Without any cloud to obscure. You would go blind. You would damage your eyes. You would burn 
your eyes out of their socket if you continually looked at the sun as it's shining. And yet the face of Christ, the Bible says, you'll be able to look upon that face. And you will see him. But not so for the guilty sinner. Dying without God, without blood, without Christ, and without salvation, and therefore without hope. They will meet Christ face to face. But they will do so with the stain and stench and the guilt and corruption of sin upon their soul. I want to tell you the sinner will hear the voice of God on that day. Depart from me, ye cursed. Can I say to you, in stark contrast to the whiteness of the head and the hair, in stark contrast to the shining of his face, is the blackness of sin that's found upon the sinner at the great white throne judgment. I want to tell you, after the fearful sentence you sinner, if you die in your sin and you see Christ like this, you will never see the face of Christ again. You will never see the face of Christ again. That face is toward you now. That face, my friend, is not a face of judgment, but of mercy and of love and of grace. Now, we've often said this. Some people who have been married and have come into the house and have just looked at the face of their wife and they know I'm in trouble. They just knew. And I would say there's many a wife and they've come in and looked at the face of their husband and they've said, I'm in trouble. There's many a child. And they've looked at the face of their mum and their dad and that face before was gentle, kind, and it was very endearing. But now you know you're guilty, you've done something wrong, you see it. You see it in the face of the individual. But so too, sinner, listen to me. You will not only see his face and you'll know he's changed. But you will never see his face again. But that face now, that face now of Christ is towards you. He loves sinners. He died for sinners. He saved sinners. And if you say, I'm a sinner, and you come to him, you will find his face will be towards you. But if you die in your sin, you will look upon that face for the last time. And that face will be against you. And you will never see the face of Christ again. Consider thirdly and finally, and I'll use it as a conclusion. You have Christ in his apparel, Christ in his appearance. But you have Christ in his affection. You notice there in verses 17 and 18, and we'll take time to read them. Let the word of God have the final say. You know what it says in verse 17 and 18 as we close? Uh, chapter 1. It says, and when I saw him... I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth, John, and was dead. Behold, look at me, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. A beautiful way to end the description of Christ. I want to tell you something. John was terrified at the appearance of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. His spirit was overwhelmed. The Bible says there was no breath left in him and he literally fell on his face as a dead man. However, the Savior came along and in love and mercy he reached out with his hand and he touched him and he raised him up and he said to John, fear not. Maybe that's what you need tonight. Maybe you need at this Easter time not only to see Christ as one who suffered, bled and died and I trust you have, but as one who loves you. One whose hand can touch you and lift you up again. One who can speak a word to your soul, fear not. Maybe that's the word you needed tonight. 
and you'll go away tonight, you say, I didn't hear much, and take in much of what that man said. But you know when he read those final verses? The sword touched my heart. The word ministered to my soul. Fear not. Maybe that's what you need tonight. For Christ reassured John that he was God. I have Alpha and Omega. He reassured him that he was man, a mediator, and a savior and redeemer. For I am he that was dead, and I'm alive forevermore. John, I am the savior. I am the redeemer. I am Christ, the conqueror of sin and Satan. I am Christ, the one who has power over death and the grave. I am Christ, the son of the living God, the mediator of the new covenant, the redeemer of God's elect, the savior of the world, who can save you from your sin and its terrible consequences of and hell. And the message of Easter is simple. Fear not, sinner. Fear not to come to Christ. Fear not to come to God. Or you should fear God in your sin. Of course you should. But don't be afraid to come. If you come to Christ, he'll not cast you out. He'll take you in. He'll forgive and pardon, and he'll save your soul. And even to the sinner, don't be afraid to come to Christ. Don't be afraid to look at your sin tonight and be sorry for it and separate from it and repent of it. So long as you keep an eye to the suffering Savior on the cross and the risen Savior in heaven, who now with outstretched arms calls you to himself, I tell you, all who come will be saved. Fear not, sinner, to come to Christ tonight. Come and welcome. I want to tell you there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, listen to me, there's still room for one. You. There's room at the cross for you. Him or her that cometh to me, don't be afraid. I will in no wise cast out. Fear not, sinner. Christ has suffered, bled and died and rose from the dead. God will accept you. Christ will save you. The Holy Ghost will fill you to live the Christian life. And one day you'll see his face in glory. Make sure you're saved tonight. And if you are, then thank God for Christ. He came and died and rose again. Let's bow in prayer.